Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is 2 Chronicles chapter 33, where we learn about the next two kings of Judah, Manasseh and his son Ammon. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that his father Hezekiah had broken down, and he erected altars to the Baals and made Asheroth, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served them. And he built altars in the house of Yahweh, of which Yahweh had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of Yahweh. And he burned his sons as an offering in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and used fortune-telling and omens and sorcery, and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of Yahweh, provoking him to anger. And the carved image of the idol that he had made, he set in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever." And I will no more remove the foot of Israel from the land that I appointed for your fathers, if only they will be careful to do all that I have commanded them, all the law, the statutes, and the rules given through Moses. Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem astray to do more evil than the nations whom Yahweh destroyed before the people of Israel. Yahweh spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore Yahweh brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of Yahweh his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved by his entreaty, and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that Yahweh was God. Afterward he built an outer wall for the city of David west of Gahon, in the valley, and for the entrance into the fish gate and carried around Ophel, and raised it to a very great height. He also put commanders of the army in all the fortified cities in Judah, and he took away the foreign gods and the idol from the house of Yahweh, and all the altars that he had built on the mountain of the house of Yahweh, and in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside of the city. He also restored the altar of Yahweh, and offered on it sacrifices of peace offerings and of thanksgiving. And he commanded Judah to serve Yahweh the God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed at the high places, but only to Yahweh their God. Now the rest of the acts of Manasseh and his prayer to his God, and the words of the seers who spoke to him in the name of Yahweh the God of Israel, behold, they are in the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And his prayer, and how God was moved by his entreaty, and all his sin and his faithlessness, and the sites on which he built high places and set up the asherim and the images before he humbled himself, behold, they are written in the chronicles of the seers. So Manasseh slept with his fathers, and they buried him in his house, and Ammon his son reigned in his place. Ammon was twenty-two years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem, and he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh, as Manasseh his father had done. Ammon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh his father had made, 
and served them. And he did not humble himself before Yahweh as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But this Ammon incurred guilt more and more, and his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land struck down all those who had conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. This is the word of the Lord. So we start with Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, becoming king over Judah. And unfortunately, for as faithful and great a king as Hezekiah may have been, Manasseh is described as doing evil in the sight of Yahweh. And we're going to read about that in a moment. But in our count, that brings the kings of Judah to seven who have been described as doing right in God's sight. Five have done evil. Uh, Ammon, his son who follows him, will make it six. And then again, Abijah, um, described as that in the book of Kings, but not here in Chronicles. So Manasseh reigns from the time he's just 12 years old. Might be something that the children find interesting to think about. He may indeed be taking the throne at that point because of Hezekiah's sickness, something that we did read about yesterday where he was near the point of death. Anyway, as Manasseh reigns 55 years, that's roughly 698 until 643 BC for his timeline there, he does abominations like the nations that God had driven out before him, except verse 9 is going to say even more evil than the nations Yahweh destroyed. So the promised land prior to Judah and Israel coming in was occupied by the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Jebusites, Perizzites, Girgashites, and the Amorites, all those Ite tribes. And they had their false gods that they worshipped. Baal, Asherah included among them, and there were others as well. And they would build idols out of wood, stone, or metal, carving them to, to make this little statue of a god that they would worship. They would build altars, they would make these pillars to to mark a specific spot to worship their gods at. They would certainly worship on the high hills, as we've talked about before, because of its closer proximity to the gods as they viewed it. So these are some of the things described as abominations. You might want to pick up on that word with the kids today and ask them, what are these abominations that that Manasseh did? And if you've you've not read verse 3 and onward yet, then they can try to guess at it, but if you've already read it, then you're picking up from the text. So you've got the worship of these, these false gods, right, that are described here in verse 3 and, well, 3, 4, 5, even into 6, really. Baal is mentioned. Uh, Baal is simply the Hebrew word for Lord or Master, but there were those who had a, I think it's a sea or a thunder kind of god uh, that the Canaanites in particular had uh, that they worshipped, and Baal was the name that they called him. That's not unsimilar to how we refer to our god as God or as Lord. Such a title as Baal could be used in that way. Asheroth is simply the plural of Asherah, so multiple of this false goddess, uh, that they have created the idols to worship, or again, these kinds of pillars that they might build to mark the sites to worship her. Also, all the host of heaven, so they're worshiping the stars. 
We have people that do that today, thinking their zodiac signs actually matter um, and determine things about their life and how their day will go, even from the moment they wake up. That's idolatry. And so they worship the hosts of heaven, they serve them. That could be things like the sun, the stars, the moon. Uh, the Egyptians loved worshiping Ra, the, the sun god, and, and so forth. But it could also be a reference to angels and demons uh, the, that could be described as the host of heaven, the army of heaven, the army of the Lord. He also, though, brought these altars into the temple, the temple that God had said would mark his name. Now, we've got two quotations marked here, one in verse 4, and then another down in, where does that start, verse 7. I didn't see a direct, like, here is exactly word for word where that was pulled from, um, but there are many places, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 36 is one of them, where the Lord has spoken in this way. Um, prior to this, the temple being built, he would tell his people that he would show them a place where he would choose to place his name forever. After the temple's built, it changes to Jerusalem is the place where he has chosen to place his name forever. That's fairly common language, so it's not, not unique here. So Jerusalem is the place for him to put his name, and yet they have removed his name, or sought to, from the temple and put a false god there. This is God's throne, Yahweh's throne, but they have sought to reject him. Then we see that he offered up his own children, his sons, burning them alive in the valley of the son of Hinnom. That is a child sacrifice. Baal um, is one referent there. Also, Molech, Kamash are mentioned in that same way. The idea, harder to say exactly why, as those religions don't exist anymore. Um, not to say that there aren't. We'll come back to that thought in a moment. Religions like this today, but... Molech and Kamash very specifically mentioned by name as having child sacrifice as part of the pagan rituals. Um, Baalith just seems to kind of happen, on the other hand. So the Valley of the Son of Hinnom is south of Jerusalem, and the people of Jerusalem and the people of Judea in the New Testament era, over time they have considered the darkness of that deed to have made that place a curse. And so they basically come to view that valley as hell to the point where Jesus, you might be familiar with him saying the word Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. That is um, basically the Greek of Hanom here, or maybe the Aramaic. Hanom is the Hebrew. So it's the same phrase, same location. So he'll refer to Gehenna, and when he does, he's speaking of a hell-like place or of hell itself. And it's a reference to this valley, but at the same time, he's picking up on the people's idea. Right, what do they think of? And so he's, he's making that connection. It's almost as the same as him referencing Hades, I believe, a couple of times. Anyway, ESV, instead of writing Gehenna in English, does write hell. So if you've never caught it, it might be for that reason. Now, I mentioned we'd come back to the idea that we do this today. Um, we just call it abortion. We call it women's rights and health care, and yet it's an idol that we are willing to sacrifice and slaughter our own children on so that we can have sexual liberty and do what we want when we want and 
not be tied to these children. They won't say that word. They'll call them parasites or fetus, although that's the Latin word for offspring. Um, But it's really quite common today. Children are a gift of the Lord, and our culture and many cultures around the world right now seeking to reject that gift. We are we're really leading ourselves to our own destruction as a, as a species. I, am. I don't like to say it that way, but right, I mean, man is trying to wipe itself out for just the evil of our own hearts. He goes further. Mediums are those who seek to speak with the dead. Necromancers, those who would try to raise uh, the dead in various kinds of ways. All evil things that he's doing. So he's done much evil in the sight of Yahweh. He's provoked Yahweh. He takes his idol that he's made with his own hands, sets it in the house of God, in the temple. And so that's why, again, we get another quote about the temple that God has chosen to put his name there in Jerusalem and that he is going to to keep the people of Israel there. Their foot will not be removed. He's going to plant them unless they reject him. If they don't keep his commandments, then they'll end up becoming just like the tribes that the Lord has driven out. The next paragraph, verse 10, is actually unique to the book of Chronicles. You don't see this in the account of Manasseh and 2 Kings. Manasseh repents. So after all of this evil that he's done, Yahweh eventually, in his anger, brings judgment, and he brings the king of Assyria, he brings his army against Manasseh, and they capture him, and they take him off to Babylon. Well, that's no short journey. And yet, he humbles himself, and he prays to Yahweh. So having been a rebel against the Lord all of his life, all of his time as king over God's people, having despised the true Lord by worshiping all these false ones, When trouble finally comes and he has this recognition that none of those false gods helped, he finally calls out to the God of his father, the God of Hezekiah, and he prays an earnest prayer for forgiveness, a prayer of repentance. He humbles himself and God forgives and restores him, brings him back to Jerusalem, back to his kingdom. And then we see that paragraph end, then Manasseh knew that Yahweh was God. So the Lord's faithfulness, even though Manasseh wasn't, the Lord's faithfulness ends up bringing faith to Manasseh. Second Chronicles chapter 7, you can see the prayer of King Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And this is one of the things he includes in that prayer, the lengthier version of it's in 1 Kings chapter 8. And he prayed that if the kings had done evil and if they were defeated by foreign armies and whatnot, that if they repented, if they turned to the house of God and repented, that the Lord restore them, that he heal them. And that's what we see happen here as well. So then he continues the building projects that have been done by some other faithful kings before him. He's going to build up that wall, strengthen it more. So he's going to build some wall to the west of Gahon, which is, again, um, in the Kidron Valley or by the, the brook of Kidron just south of Jerusalem. He's going to work on fortifying the fish gate, which is part of the northern wall of the city, and also Ophel, which is the southern part of the Temple Hill. He's connecting those places by this great wall. He also puts commanders in the fortified cities, armies, uh, to defend. 
He takes away the false gods and idols that he has established in the land. He takes out the altars that he's built on the mountain, mountain, the temple mount, right, of the house of Yahweh. He throws them outside of the city. So he's doing good things here, being faithful, restores the altar of Yahweh, offers sacrifices on it, and commanded Judah to serve Yahweh, which verse 17 says they do, but falsely. So instead of worshiping Asherah and Baal and all these other gods and goddesses on those high places, the high places remained and they worshiped Yahweh at them. That's still sin because they are to worship the Lord only in his, uh, I shouldn't say worship, they are to sacrifice to the Lord only in his temple at his altar. And so they have, they're, they're worshiping in a way that the Lord has not commanded nor approved. So that's still bad. That's why the nevertheless word is used in the text. So Manasseh dies, um, recorded in the books of Chronicles of the Kings of Israel and the Chronicles of the Seers, which would be a reference to the prophets. And Ammon, his son, reigns in his place. Ammon reigns for two years. It's roughly 643 to 641. He does evil in the sight of God, according to all that his father Manasseh had done, worshiping, sacrificing to those images, but he doesn't humble himself like dad did. So there's no prayer of repentance. There's no uh, shift and change to faith. We've seen many kings. This is something I should probably mention. I had noted the pattern of many kings being faithful, and then as life went on, they became prideful of, of themselves and stopped trusting in God. Manasseh was actually the opposite. He started off very poorly, and when he was humbled, he repented, and there's faith there all of a sudden. So the Lord can work and redeem even the evil in this world, which we rejoice because we were once those who walked in darkness ourselves. Now, again, Ammon here incurred guilt more and more, and his servants assassinated him. And then the people of Judah killed the assassins. We don't have reason given for either. We don't have the reason why they killed the king in the first place, nor do we have the reason why the people then killed the assassins. So it could well be that the servants conspired against him to kill him because they despised how evil that he was and they wanted a better king. That's certainly a possibility. Or it could just be this is how evil works. Every time I, I see films or, or shows or stories that contain, you know, the, the bad villain and the people that work for him and then bad things happen within the hierarchy of the villains in the show, like they'll just kill each other because they can and they don't care. And so it is how evil works. The devil revels in destruction. So why not a little more? That could be it as well. And then the people's response, again, hard to say, they kill those who killed the king. This could be just evil people doing what evil people do, or it could be like King David himself had once done when he first became king. The word was brought to him that Saul had been killed, and the messenger claimed he was the one that did it. So David instead of rejoicing and celebrating, which is what the messenger expected. He expected, oh, now you're king, and I'm part of why, so you should honor me. 
basically. David puts him to death instead because he had touched the Lord's anointed. David himself would not kill Saul because he was God's anointed. And that's the role of the king. is He's God's anointed man to serve his people. And so it could be, uh, if, the, if we're looking at the people of Judah faithfully here, they put to death those who killed the king because they, they had struck down the Lord's anointed. We don't know. Uh, it would all be guesswork. You can ask your children why they think these things happen. So why did the servants kill the king? Why did the people put those servants to death? And see what they might come up with. Um, but it's, it's all just kind of pondering guesswork. What we do know is Ammon reigns two years, filled with evil, and then is replaced by his son, Josiah. 